Hello, so just me introducing the show this week. It's episode 43 of the Lessons from Loss podcast and this week I'm delighted to be chatting with Dr Jane Lewis about the loss of her mum to dementia and we cover touch, finding support and dealing with guilt, especially around difficult decisions. I hope you find it useful. Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guides our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences and also the impact that hearing these stories may have on you, the listener. Please take care as you listen. So today I'm delighted to be chatting with Dr. Jane Lewis, a coach, mentor, teacher, healer, specialising in the ancient Hawaiian wisdom of Huna for over 25 years. In recent times, Jane put all that Huna wisdom to use for herself when her mum was diagnosed with dementia and sadly passed away some time later. So welcome to the podcast, Jane. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you for having me on here. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm really looking forward to hearing all about Huna. I know a little bit about it, um, but yeah, looking forward to finding out more. So thanks for coming on today to share the experience of losing your mum to dementia and how Huna has helped you deal with that loss. Um, so maybe a good place to start is just sort of acknowledging your mum and, and uh, sharing a bit about your relationship with her and the impact of her dementia, which, of course, was, you know, an additional loss to, yeah. to the loss of her, you know, actually finally passing away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. And uh, thank you for acknowledging mum to start with, because um, she was she was an amazing woman in 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 her own right. Um, she she was born in 1921, working class, Stoke on Trent, and she left home at the age of 17 to go nursing. Uh, you weren't supposed to go nursing until you were 18, but mum felt there was more to life than Stoke on Trent. Apologies, <laughs> Apologies to anybody from Stoke. Um, and she found she discovered that if she did a fevers training, she could go at 17. So off she went. Uh, trained as a nurse, um, got into ophthalmics. And then just after the Second World War, by which time she was a sister, um, decided that abroad called. So she went to work at the as a theatre sister in the St. John of Jerusalem Eye Hospital. And then subsequently joined the army and ended up in Jamaica, which is where she met my dad. So um, she had, a, you know, her, her 20s, her early 30s were really very different for a woman of her class and background mm. um and first six years of my life she didn't work and then and then she went back to she went back to work and worked with my dad when he he was a headmaster and he had schools so she'd work as matron in the schools so she was um oh and she yeah when when she when she had to when she finally had to retire she she had to make a choice at, at that time you had to come off the nursing register at 70 so she uh, decided that um it was time she got a degree so she she joined the open university at 70 um oh my goodness she sounds right quite a character <laughs> yeah yeah she was um and i loved her very much and 
like all of us, she did she did have her downsides. Um, one of her downsides was she had a PhD in jealousy, and which I, which at, at early on I was very jealous. I Huna's help helped really helped me get over that one, um, and I think the other thing was that that she. She'd had some illnesses uh, when she was a kid. She'd spent like three months away from home and three months, you know, two blocks of big illness. Mm. Lost her mum at 14. Um, and I think there was a lot of abandonment stuff. Yes. And the reason I mention it is because when the dementia, as the dementia got worse, those aspects of her character also became magnified and highlighted. I mean, they're always kind of there, but they weren't. They weren't. They weren't an issue. But as as I say, as the dement as the dementia progressed, and of course, being my mum, she didn't have Alzheimer's. She had Louis de- Louis body dementia, which is much rarer. As did her as did her brother, as it turned out. So, some of her behaviour, she became quite violent, mm-hmm. um, and I had to at the, at that point <laughs> she she came at me a knife with a knife. By that time, she was tiny. I wasn't scared I wasn't scared but it was obvious there was no way I was going to be able to get care I mean even if she'd accepted no way I was going to get carers in so at that point I knew that I had to do something and the first thing I had to do was in fact because there were no homes that would accept her was to get her into a psychiatric institution to stabilize her because one of the facets of Louis body dementia is that they do experience hallucinations. Both my mum and my and my uh, uncle did, but my mum's were really quite horrific hallucinations. Um, she she was convinced there was a I don't know a sex abusers in the garden and yeah. I, I just just, oh, just awful awful. Yes, stuff. that must have been terrifying for her and yeah. you know and so tough for you to see her go through that. Yep. Yeah, it was. And <laughs> within the first week of being in the being my mum, first week of being in a psychiatric institution, she very nearly managed to kill herself, um, which is almost impossible. Um, but she, with her nursing background, knew what to do with. Um, I, I don't know. They didn't give me the full story, but that that my mum was rebellious to the last. She really all through her dementia. The rebellion was that rebellious streak, that that um, I'm going to do it my way um, yes. was, was always there. The the version of dementia that she has, because dementia comes in many shapes and forms. Yeah. That's because dementia is just the umbrella term, isn't yeah. it, of, of that condition. But there's, yeah, all the different varieties of it, I guess, underneath. Yeah, and I, I think the, the it, you know, the combination of... Um, the type of dementia that she had, the type of character that she was, her past experiences, um, it, it meant that she, she, <laughs> you know, she was, she, she was gonna fight. She was gonna fight to the last for her freedom mm-hmm. and um, for her, you know, her right to be herself. So one of the things, partly the violent patterns of behaviour. And the adamant refusal to accept help before before I before I had to get her into the psychiatric institution, um, 
it was really, really hard because she, I'd, I'd come to visit with, you know, I'd come and see her with my partner and she'd be sweet as pie to my partner. She'd flirt with him and she'd be nice as pie. And as soon as he'd gone out of the room, she'd turn and she'd be an absolute bitch to me. And he could, I mean, he 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 would hear it because it, it just because of the the, cons, the construction of the house, but and and he commented on it from from time to time, but um, she she um, uh, her anger at her situation. She was really angry at her situation, yeah, uh, and her anger at her situation was definitely focused on me as her as her only child, as her only daughter. Yes. Yeah. And, and was I she angry at, I mean, was she blaming you for where she was? Well, she certainly did. She certainly did when, once I got her into the, um, into the psychiatric uh, place, mm. she was, uh, she, as I say, she'd been a nurse. So she, she kind of clocked it as we walked in. I'd, I'd had to lie to get her there. Right. Um, but it, I, I had no choice. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, it's almost um, not a decision that you had to make, was it? No, it was. And I think up until that point, I'd dealt with, I'd, it was difficult, but there were tools and techniques from Huna, which I used on a daily and ongoing basis to help keep me um, not at peace exactly, because... I could see what she was going through because she, a lot of the time she was lucid and she knew, she knew that there was something really, really wrong. Mm. And she knew that, um, you know, and she was having these awful experiences. Um, but the, the tools and techniques of Huna really helped me to achieve something like balance. I mean, there's a forgiveness process that I teach, been teaching for a long time, that um, called Ho'oponopono. And usually with Ho'oponopono, the, the best way to do it is to do it every day at night and you you, you do it with everybody you know. Yeah. Um, I was sometimes doing it 30 times a day with my mum. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> it's just the stuff that's coming. coming yeah. Coming. So um, that's, that's a release for forgiveness. Yeah. 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 No, so, so with that, I'm curious. Were you, you were saying you were sort of doing that thirty, forty times. Was that a forgiving yourself or a forgiving your mum? No, or forgiving for. Well, oh, I but, guess everything wrapped up in that. <laughs> well, the way the way it works is that you you create a stage and you put the person or people that you want to forgive on the stage, right? And um, you have a conversation in your head with them. Uh, to you, um, you know, to have the forgiveness, and the conversation basically is, "I forgive you, please forgive me," because the version that I teach is a lot simpler, I think, than um, some of the other versions that are out there. Because there's, there's many versions of Ho'oponopono, and no one version is correct. There are there are many ways of doing it. So you put the person that you want to forgive on the stage and you're having the conversation with them. And the idea is that the forgiveness should be both ways um, because, okay, I'm forgiving my mum for being abusive and 
I'm asking for her forgiveness for anything that I might have done to hurt her. Well, in her case, definitely putting her in a psychiatric institution was one of them. Um, but, you know, there was there was there was plenty over the years that and some of them were small things, something, you know, that that I didn't phone her. I didn't return her calls or, or whatever. But it's all done in your own mind. Yeah. So and because it's two way, really, the when the you know the the other person is forgiving you is is it it, it is effectively you forgiving yourself. Yes. Uh, so you, when that happens, when you when you go through that process, is the person assuming that that person isn't yourself that you're putting on the stage? No, you don't. Um, no, so so the, the, yes, because it's a it's a relationship thing, isn't it? So so the other person would do they ever get any kind of awareness of it? I mean, obviously you you don't you wouldn't say to them that you you've done that, but is there kind of almost that sort of felt I don't know some kind of very knowing? often yes very often yes um, I mean I've been teaching hot ponopono for a long time and I've worked with a in a lot of clients, taking a lot of clients through it. And quite a common experience, not true in every case, but quite a common experience is that um, the person that they that they do the forgiving with, um, their behaviour miraculously, uh, either their behaviour miraculously seems to change um, or the... Um, they just disappear from the person's life if that's what the person, you know, if that's what was the, the desire. Um, or they may um, they may even come and, and then say, I, you know, I, I think we, you know, I, I feel I feel it's time you need to forgive me. You know, they, they may even come and request a, a face to face conversation. Um, so it depends. Not every and sometimes not everybody it, not everybody feels it, mm. um, but the idea, as I said, the way that the way that I practice and teach it, and the way I've been taught is that um, at the end of it, you cut the energetic cords of connection, and the idea is that you can reconnect with the person if you want to. You don't have to, and you certainly don't have to like them after it. You can reconnect with the person, but it's always in a new context. It's a new energy. The old history is cut. Right. is gone is done and you're if you are reconnecting you're reconnecting in say in a new in a new context so when I was doing I mean 30 times a day is probably a bit of an exaggeration but when I was doing it a number of times a day with my mum each time it would be okay this is a new event this is a new situation the old the old situation is done yeah. this is a new situation this is a let's you know will release the energy on this one um oh, sounds really interesting did it have i mean obviously it had a, an impact on yourself that you felt the difference doing it i i would imagine did you notice a change in your in your mum as well no um and that could be to do with my own expectations mm. uh, uh i wasn't <laughs> i wasn't expecting significant change and I also knew with Louis Body that they can go in and out. I mean, there was times she, so she was in the psychiatric place for about nine months, um, and then and then she was 
considered you know okay to be to to go into a home she wasn't she wasn't dangerous to she wasn't dangerous to her carers anymore wasn't um uh, dangerous aggressive yeah sort of aggressive to her carers um and so she was she was in a home and it she was in there for about a year so she, so it was about it's best part of two years between when she first went into uh into institutionalized care and and when she died and it must be about six months before she died and i'd i put together i'd found her old photos and i put together lots of her photos into an album so we, so she had a kind of memory book i remember we were going through one and she was looking at the photos and these were from you know when she was in her 20s and there's a photo of this guy um lying in the sunshine in a pair of shorts shorts and she looks she goes hmm she goes and she gets she names him and then and i said oh you you remember shit oh yes you couldn't forget those thighs (laughs) 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 so so you know there was times when we'd have very we would actually have very lucid conversations and there was times when we didn't, you know. She she would say, "What have What have I done wrong? I, I mean, why have you Why have you imprisoned me?" Um, and there's no explaining that really. But what the whole I I'd had clinical depression, oh, back in the late nineties, and I think if anything was going to put me back into clinical depression, it would have been the experience of my mum because it was it was it was. Yeah, it was it was hairy. It was very hairy, um, and using Ho'oponopono and also some other release techniques from from Huna, really. Yes, I had times when I I was grieving. I mean, I was grieving in the in the moment. Yeah, because um, she wasn't this. I mean, the feistiness was still there, but. Um, you know, she wasn't. She she couldn't be this free spirit. She couldn't be. Um, she was who she was because I say the those those aspects were always there, but they were just so magnified in such a different way. Um, and I think if anything had been hit me back into clinical depression, that would probably have been it, and it didn't. Yeah. Um, yes, there was a lot of grief because I could. I knew I was losing her, um, but it wasn't depression. No, no, which are, you know, they're, they're two very, very yeah. different things, aren't they? Yeah. And did you feel then that was the grief when she did finally die? Was was that as kind of strong because, you you know, you go when, when somebody has dementia you you know you're already sort of losing parts of them aren't you it's it's funny I mean I'd heard it I'd heard other people say that having relatives you often parents with with dementia I'd heard other people talk about a time of tenderness that you know moments of real intense tenderness Mm. real preciousness um, and definitely, I experienced moments of that with Mum once. Once she was in in the home, and she'd, um, you know, the, 
yes, she was on drugs, but they'd, they'd regulate, you know, they'd, they'd been able to regulate her so that she wasn't having the hallucinations and, yeah. and she, she wasn't being aggressive. Um, and so those, yeah, we had prof very profound moments of, of tenderness in at that time. I mean, there is, and I'm certainly not the first to say it, but, you know, I never expected to find myself wiping my mother's bum. And that, on the one hand, was, <laughs> I've never had kids. So on the one hand, it was kind of like, huh? Yeah. Um, and and all the mess that goes with it. Um, and on the other hand, there was something about, again, that was a very, it was very precious um, in an odd kind of way. Um, and being able, you know, and, and I'd go and visit and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd help her wash and, and things like that, which, again, you don't expect to, have, to, to, to do that. And I didn't have to because it was, it was a good home and they, they did take care. Um, but it was something... Hmm, caring and intimate yes yeah and I think so when she actually when she actually died it was a relief for her huge relief for her um and although the, the way they did it was there was a, there was a system it's called the liverpool protocol the options were she she got a cough it did it it, it, it was it, it was clearly affecting her badly and the options were take her into she was 90 take her into hospital or leave her where she was and not keep her comfortable not feed her or or, or you know give her liquids because she couldn't swallow and we went down that road because it felt like the hospital was going to be a really bad idea for her um so i think i was relieved for her um the grief was really about that loss of intimacy yeah um because we'd been you know we'd we'd become close um when, when she wasn't when she wasn't getting cross with me because uh, because uh, because i put her in prison but we we had become you know we'd 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 got that close a lot of that closeness back yes i think yes. that that's what i that's what I grieved, um, but at the same time, it was a relief for her because she she'd had enough. Mm. Yeah, and I guess that opportunity to, you know, be able to be involved with her personal care and do, as you say, those very sort of intimate, um, personal things helped helped them build that that intimacy yeah. again between between you yeah yeah yes it, I think it I think it did and and I think and she appreciated it I mean it, it's it's always difficult you know you don't know when you're forcing your wishes on the other person because they're you know they're vulnerable they're old um not always able clearly to express their needs and their wishes so it's quite a, it's a bit of a delicate line, you know, it might suit me to be wiping my mum's face, but does it suit my mum? Yes. No. Um, 
but I think she did seem she did seem to appreciate it and certainly you, you know you know you know when you're a kid and your mum whips out the hanky and but you're or certainly my generation mum would whip out the hanky lick it and then yeah yeah clean the clean the spot on your you know the the, the muddy spot on your cheek or, or whatever um and you'd be going <laughs> get off <laughs> it wasn't it was certainly it wasn't like that it certainly wasn't like that <laughs> uh, and I, yeah I, I you know and we we and and we was we were able to have some good laughs and I was able to take her out for a 90th birthday um she was able to meet we were able to meet up with some of her niece, her nieces and nephews and I've got a great photo of her at her 90th birthday which is about nine months before she died and she, she loved to be a queen bee, my mum. She loved to be the, you know, the centre of attention. So she's got um, nieces and nephews and I think a great niece and nephew, you know, um, and Kate and <laughs> and she's dressed up. And, oh, and, and it's just, you know, and I've got a really beautiful photo of her blown out her candles. We didn't put 90 candles on the cake, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> blowing out her candles. So, so we did, yes, we were able to have some, some good moments, but um, it once, one, but, it, but, but to be honest, it was because, um, you know, they'd been able to find the right balance of drugs so that she wasn't hallucinating and she wasn't, as aggressive she could get aggressive but she wasn't nearly as, as as bad as she'd previously been yeah so did you find the huna helped you with the grief of, of yeah I mean, I mean the thing is that one of the techniques that i use and i teach is releasing old suppressed emotions things like anger sadness fear guilt i said earlier um i huna had helped me with the jealousy because I was a very jealous person when I was in my teens, early 20s. And when I got one of the things I used Huna for very specifically was to release the emotion of jealousy, to, to you know, to to let it go. Because it was definitely a learned emotion. Mm. Uh, as I say, my mum was really good at it. Grief is an important... Anger, sadness, fear, they're, they are important emotions. They're necessary emotions. Yeah. They're they're human emotions. So I think grieving is a really, really important thing to do. Um, and I allowed myself to do it. But I think what Huna helped me do was there were things that I definitely needed to be at peace with myself, decisions that I made. So, for example, getting mum into the psychiatric unit. I knew it was the right thing, but I still had the guilt. Yeah the Liverpool the, the protocol so I think it's called the Liverpool pro anyway that protocol so where they where they don't feed the person that was a really hard decision to make and I had a lot of guilt about that mm -hmm. is that the right thing when mum was dying I couldn't I couldn't be in the I couldn't bear to be there I I left and I felt guilty about that so guilt was probably there's quite a bit of guilt that I had to deal with. Yeah, yeah. And you know, letting go of that guilt, Huna was um Huna's got the tools for that. 
So let, just letting go of the guilt was really, really helpful. I think um, often guilt does go hand in hand with grief, doesn't it? I know that, you know, from my own personal experience that there was a, a lot of guilt sort of underpinning or or sort of walking side side by side with grief when I'd lost my husband, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because there's all sorts of that you you always, you know, you wonder, well, what if I'd done this differently? Could I have done this? Could I have could I have spent more time with them? Could I give them more care? Could I have, could I have, you know, the the yeah. woulda, shoulda, woulda questions. And um and the rational piece, the rational bit of you, well, the rational bit of me knows, no, you actually did what you, the best thing you could given the information you had at the time. Yeah. That's the rational bit, but it that's very different from the the heart piece, I suppose. Yes, yeah, from the actual feeling it, yes. Yeah. So having used all of that wisdom with, with helping you, um, with your mum's dementia and, and her dying, did that actually give you end up giving you a greater understanding of of Huna? Did you sort of get to have a, a deeper appreciation of it, do you think? I think it was the other way around. I think right. it, the experience and the use of Huna gave me a better appreciation of grief and um and so things, m mum started showing signs of dementia back in, I think it was about 2009. At that time, I was one of the few people I knew who had a parent with dementia. My dad, oh. my dad, years before. It wasn't, it wasn't that, it was either that people didn't talk about it. Mm, yeah. Or, which I think was a big piece, or that the diagnoses weren't, I didn't, you know, and I was I was fifty some fifty something at that point. I didn't, um, so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't young, <laughs> um, but I didn't know very many people who'd had that experience. Um, now, a lot of people, yeah. I know a, lot, a lot of women having that experience, um, it might be because my mom, my mum was relatively old for my generation when she had me she was 36 when she had me which was old for her generation yes yeah um so there weren't there weren't a lot of people to talk to i didn't know people who you know who who who'd, who'd been through something similar so i think it taught me a lot about it taught me a lot about grief um and a lot about dealing with the process of watching somebody effectively die before your eyes. Now, I certainly had friends who had, um, you know, parents, loved ones who'd had, who'd had um, uh, terminal cancer, that, you know, um, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and I probably hadn't appreciated exactly what that was like. No. Um, and then going through that with mum, I think I, I appreciate it. I, I ended up, I, I'm not sure it was, I'm not sure it was anything to do with mum, but I ended up getting ordained as an interfaith minister. And oh, okay. one of the things that I did was I worked, I volunteered in a, in a hospice. It was a day hospice 
over in Stratford um, as a volunteer chaplain. So talking to the recently bereaved um, carers of people with life limiting as as in terminal illness yeah. and also with people with terminal illness. And it was it was interesting because most of them actually, they just wanted to talk, mm. not about grief, not about the situation, but just talk. And one of the things that in the hospice that people loved the most, they had an activity area and a fabulous uh, die, fabulous activity coordinator called die. And she, they'd all be sitting there and they'd be doing things and they would be talking, but they'd be talking about, oh, you know, um, this has happened. Oh, we've got to get, you know, we've got to get a, we've got to get a wet room put in or we've got to it, talking about those shared experiences, but doing it over, doing it while doing an activity. So you didn't have to look at anybody. Yeah. It was the focus. It was that it was almost like that. It's that thing that I think women have done for for thousands of years, collaborative, you know, watching together, baking together, whatever. And it was the the act of doing something together and being able to talk. Because most 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 of the people who were there were or most people that I worked with only went one day a week um were women. Um but it was that yeah and 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 the ability to talk about absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah. Just, just talk about, yeah, nothing. Yeah, I, th I don't know. It is there is that thing, isn't there? As you say, that sort of collaborative coming together over a task or an activity that just seems to allow conversations to happen. Mm -hmm. Whether that's you know sort of serious conversations or or just you know you know far lighter conversations but it's it does kind of take that that pressure off I suppose as opposed to you all sitting in a room and you're there to talk yeah. and then suddenly you yeah. feel like the pressure is on you to yes <laughs> um to say things whereas it you know it just sort of seems to uh to naturally flow out um, yeah and I think as well you know in those situations with people who are shy or more um you know who hold back they don't feel they have to contribute but they're but they're doing whatever they're, they're making they're doing whatever they're doing so they can be part of it they can be part of it yeah it's a, it, it it was a really inclusive way of of bringing people together now oh, did you get the opportunity to experience that for yourself but sort of after your mum died. No, I didn't. I just used Huna. You know, and I thought about bereavement counselling and I thought, well, I'm not sure what they, I'm not sure how, what that could do for me. Yeah, um, sort of over and above what you mm, do with Huna. Mm. Um, and I had a friend who, um, Years before she'd run a she'd run a massage school and I'd 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 um I'd done some teaching at the massage school for her years before, um so I'd go and have a um, craniosacral treatment with her, um which helped me because it you don't have to talk no 
um you i think there's there's a huge there's so much va- there's so much value in touch i mean that's why the whole covid stories <laughs> get me started but there is so much value in touch yeah um when when you're grieving and that thing of you don't have to talk about anything but there's a pair of compassionate hands on you yes. on your on your person yeah not for everybody not for everybody no, for whole- and and somebody there for you for mm. an hour or however long your treatment time is just being present for you yeah yeah that's really interesting about them well I'm really interesting about the cranial sacral because that's actually something I'm going to start training in in October this year so yeah really excited about that it's a it's a treatment that I love for exactly those reasons it's that hour just to I don't know just to allow my body the permission to do what it needs to do to sort itself out yeah somehow yes I mean I I studied it and and I I practiced it for quite a while I remember I mean and and you can go I I do remember one time I was working on a guy and it felt like a hell I was holding his soul in my hands and it was the 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 most precious really precious experience um you know we talked about it we talked briefly afterwards and and he 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 had found it an extraordinary experience too so it can it can really yeah you can go very you can go very deep as a therapist and as a as a as a as a patient to client sometimes it's just purely biomechanical and sometimes it's it's it can be very profound yeah i've certainly experienced both sides of that myself as well as a as a client on it getting back to the podcast and and that it's about of lessons from loss what would you say has been the the biggest lesson or just all one of the lessons that you've that you've learned from that experience of of losing your mum I think one of the ones is around the guilt that um not always true but very often when when we lose somebody um we 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 may feel guilt and <laughs> it's almost like no, not to not to beat ourselves up for feeling guilty you know because rationally you know that you've done the best you can yeah um and it's quite it's it's common it's i think probably quite a natural response and really Clearing the guilt is a good idea because holding on to guilt is very destructive, can be very destructive. Mm-hmm. Clearing the guilt is a great idea, but doing it in a loving way, um, a compassionate way, compassionate to yourself. So for me in my situation, and I think because the situation that I went through is is the same, I'm seeing more and more people who, who are having that sort of experience or in a parent with dementia where they have to put them into an institution you know all that stuff uh and they have to make important decisions but uh, life and death decisions um yeah that that self-compassion when you have to make really difficult really difficult decisions is is so important and i think as well 
I didn't experience a lot of anger myself um, about it. It was more grief and it was grief and guilt. A little bit of fear because <laughs> Louis Body, my mom had it, her brother had it. Um, it can be hereditary. So there's a little bit of fear. I hope I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the the you know the sadness the the sadness and the and the um the, the sadness and the guilt I think are a natural part of the process. Allow the time for the bereave for for the sadness because you've lost somebody you love. It's natural, but if you're still kind of weeping at the mention of the name five five years on, then it it is probably time to look at that yeah i mean yeah there's times when i think about my mum and a tear will spring to my eye but there's also times when i think about my mum and i will laugh and there's times when i think about my mum and i'll be quite I'll be vaguely frustrated um but it's that yeah it's that it's not um it's not hell i haven't held on to it no and i think that's a big lesson that these are natural these are natural reactions allow them be compassionate to yourself uh express them yes um, and if you know find the support to express them i had the i had the tools to to deal with it you know for myself if i hadn't i'd have you know i'd, I'd have found support i'd have gone and found a therapist or whatever yeah um, yeah i was going to say if somebody doesn't have the the tools like you already had you know how might they go about or what things might you sort of suggest that they explore or to go about well I think I mean bereavement counseling can be really can be really helpful obviously working with somebody like me can be helpful or finding common groups of people where you can share the experience family if um, because I'm an only child, there wasn't a lot of family. I've got some, but there wasn't a lot of immediate, you know, family. It wasn't a shared experience. Um, so, but my partner was incredibly supportive. Who can you talk to? Who can who can support you? And being being aware of that, and to say, if you can't, if there aren't family, or you can't turn to family and and friends, then sometimes a stranger is a good person. Yeah, yeah. It takes well, away a, a level of potential, I suppose, shame almost about perhaps some of the feelings that you might be experiencing. Yeah, I mean, certainly in the in in the in the chaplaincy work, they needed to get. It was as if they needed to get to know me enough to feel they could trust me. But because I was a, an outsider, uh, once they felt they could trust me, they they not all but some of them could really share, um, which doesn't change anything necessarily, but there's something of just that feeling that somebody's there for you, somebody has compassion, somebody's somebody's holding the space for you for the time that you're sitting together. Um, and it's the same, you know, body work of, of, of various kinds whether it's massage or something like craniosacral therapy because 
we're designed we're designed to be touch touch is such an important part of our psychological well-being and say you know covid interesting um it is you know and 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 it can really help in it can really help in in uh you know recovering from recovering from getting over a bereavement recovering from bereavement yeah and particularly helpful where perhaps you don't want to be or you can't talk about it yeah Yeah. and and you know as well if you you know particularly if you've lost a partner i mean I know that was your situation that you've lost, you lose that touch. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think body work can, and certainly I went, um, when I was going through depression and I, I, I didn't have a partner, I felt very alone, but working at the high school, I think really saved me because I was having frequent massage and, yeah. and, and you know, people would, I was a demonstration subject or, you know, so, and it really, really helped. Um, so not, not necessarily the obvious choice of support, but I actually think it is, it is, I think it's really valuable. Yeah, I know. I would absolutely agree with you on that. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you and to find out more about Huna and let me see if I can pronounce it correctly because I won't say it as quickly as you, Ho'oponopono. That... <laughs> That's good. The the vowels are a bit shorter, so it's more Ho'oponopono. Okay, you've Ho'oponopono. Got the, you've got the bits in the right order. Yeah. <laughs> So how might they get in contact with you? Well, um, I'm on Facebook. Um, I have a woman's Facebook group called Secret Art of Huna, H-U-N-A. Um, so if uh, so, ladies um, search search there. And I do I do all sorts of stuff on there. Um, you do you some can... delicious meditations because I have joined you on a on a few of them. <laughs> So I would definitely recommend anyone listening (laughs) (laughs) to have sort of half an hour or so of, of, um, yes, some beautiful meditation time. (laughs) Yes, so there, or um, email me, Jane, J-A-N-E, no Y, um, at Dr. Jane Lewis, and it's Dr. D-R, J-A-N-E-L-E-W-I-S dot com. Excellent. Oh, fabulous. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on to talk today, Jane. Yes, I didn't think that we would be we would be talking about bodywork and touch, but yeah, <laughs> so important. But that, you know, that's what I love about chatting to different people about their experiences, that it's all just brings in different different elements of how we can deal with the losses and, and anything else that life throws at us. Yes. <laughs> so thank you so much. Well, and thank you. Thank you so much for inviting. Oh, thank you so much, Jane. That was a lovely conversation. And for those of you who picked up that Jane mentioned a couple of times about the impact of the loss of touch during the recent pandemic and restrictions that we all experienced, um, I'm delighted to say that she's agreed to come back to do another episode specifically on that topic. So watch this space. 
I'd like to thank everyone who supports me in the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and of course to you for listening. I'll be back soon with another lesson from Lars. Thank you.